Hi, this is Ken Honda, author of Happy Money, and you're listening to my quest for the best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is money and happiness expert Ken Honda. Ken is a best selling self development author in Japan with book sales surpassing 8 million copies since 2001. Ken studied law at Waseda University in Tokyo and entered the Japanese workforce as a business consultant. Ken's financial expertise comes from owning and managing several businesses, including an accounting company, a management consulting firm, and a venture capital corporation. Ken is the first person from Japan to be voted into the Transformational Leadership Council, led by Jack Canfield, a group of Personal and professional development leaders. Ken lives in Tokyo, Japan, is here to talk about his book, Happy Money The Japanese Art of Making Peace with Your Money. Welcome, Ken. Thank you, Bill. I'm so happy to be invited to your show. I'm very excited. I'm so pleased to be with you now and to be talking about this topic and your experiences. Ken, when you were growing up, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? I think definitely my father was a very successful tax accountant. So he used to teach me everything about money since I was four or five. So I knew a lot about money by the age 10. So I could harass my father's clients by asking questions. About what's your PR, what's your company ROE, and on those things without knowing what they mean. But I know that they feel so surprised and intimidated with my questions. I had a lot of fun teasing them. It was fun for you, and you also had a sense of adult power being able to use those terms. As you grew into understanding more about those terms, because you own an accounting firm now, I'm sure that you found that there's a lot of power in understanding how the world of money works. Do you remember a time growing up when you suddenly Understood something, and it was like a light bulb went on because you now understood how another part of the world worked at a young age. Yes, true, because I learned from my father how to look at things from numbers. He is a kind of person who can memorize phone numbers, two, three at a time, even though he was so drunk, he could memorize those after hearing one time. So he was so proud of telling everybody's phone number. And these days, we don't even know which phone number we have. <laughs> we used to remember 20, 30 friends' phone numbers. Even like our parents and uncles, but now we don't have it. So I used to look at things from a numbers perspective, which really opened up a new world of accounting and investing. Do you remember a time early in your career when somebody recognized your ability to pay attention to numbers and remember them and gave you an opportunity, perhaps, where you were able to solve a problem because of this ability and skill that you developed and it led to new opportunities? Bill, you keep asking great questions. That's what I love about you. I think. I think I was praised by many adults that I was so eager to learn about business, running a business, hiring people, firing people. One time I asked my father, why don't you fire him? One of the people working. I even remember his name is Mr. Takahashi because Mr. Takahashi keeps signing all the time. You know, ah, ah, you know, as a young kid, I know that he's not enjoying the job. So I recommended him, you should fire him. So he was, son, you're going to succeed to my business one day. He seemed so proud of me. So I knew who's enjoying what they do, and also some people who start out 
from nothing ends up uh, riding a nice car and a car with a chauffeur and hundreds of employees in five to ten years time so i as a teenager as my father's clients grow some people go up some people go down and it's interesting because they look like the same they have the same background so why are they so different was my my quest and a curiosity that's really interesting that you were aware that you were paying attention to what they were doing i'm just going to go back to the fellow who you noticed sign. You would notice that today in one of your employees because it's having a ripple effect. It's not just that that person is doing that, but if they're doing that in an office with other people around, or they're doing that as a comment when people are making a presentation, that's really a very disruptive way of doing it. Even though they may not be aware of it, it does change the energy in the room. It changes people's focus. It changes how people are interpreting things because of this repeated unaware habit that some people might have. Isn't that true? You would take different action today, but it would be pretty similar to what you'd observed <laughs> as a teenager. Yeah, we have a saying in Japanese, one rotten apple makes another rotten apple if they're sitting right next to together. And then two apples just make other ones rotten. Then in a matter of time, you're going to have a, a box full of rotten apple. So you have to get rid of one apple or just make a rotten apple get going. And then he'll refreshen up or she'll refreshen up. You have to find a very enthusiastic employees or the people who work in the organization. And I think I got the knack. I really got it when I was like 13. You need good people. My parents used to say hiring people is another burden on your back. But if you don't hire people, you don't grow your business. So I think it still holds some truth after 50 years. I agree. I've also hired and had to fire. I've hired many more people than I've fired. <laughs> and it's never easy. But I also believe that it's a really important skill to have to be able to identify people who will be a good fit for the organization. Because so many people have the right credentials on paper, but there's the way that they present themselves and all of the kinds of intangibles that follow up with that. Yes, yes. Yeah. Now, let's start here because I've never known anyone to say that they have too much money. However, when I follow up and ask people what would they do with more money, I often get responses that range from puzzlement to vague blank stares to even angry expressions. <laughs> because I've dared to question them about this. You're an expert in this area who studied a lot. You're also a friendly guy. So I'm going to ask you, what is the purpose of money? That is a deep question. Money is just neutral energy. I talk to thousands of people all the time and I just grab one of the volunteers and ask them, what's money for you? Then he or she would say, oh, money means security for me. For other people, money means happiness. For some people, money is an evil thing. Money could be so many different things to so many different people. I love asking people, if money was an animal, what would it be? I teach people all around the world, like people in Thailand say, it's like an elephant. You have to be careful. Otherwise, you get stumped. Then one of my friends said, money is like a cat. I want to pet him or pet her. But when I need him or need her, I cannot usually find it. <laughs> money can be a dog. It could be a German shepherd who barks at you or a very cute dog or a golden retriever who's a friendly thing. Money becomes what you want it to become. I've been teaching about money EQ. And if you learn about those, money becomes from a scary monster to a neutral thing. Then ideally, the best friend for you who will do anything 
anything for you. So what we're talking about is really the mindset we have around money. And mindset is the set of beliefs and attitudes that we have towards money, wealth, and I would add to that freedom. What would you say are a few of the key components of transforming whatever mindset you have now into one that's not necessarily makes you feel happy about money, but what's a useful attitude and mindset to have towards money if you're in business? So in business, you really have to make up your mind how big do you want to make your business grow? I know many friends who have one store and very profitable, very fun and easy to manage, and they enjoy most of his or her time at his dream store. I have a friend who also has a 300 restaurants chain. You know, his company went public many years ago. His team scouts another location almost every week and open up a new restaurant because of a franchise. If you want to do a restaurant business, do you want to stick with one restaurant? Do you want to go for five restaurants? You want to go with uh, 1,000 restaurants. The game is different and the rules are different too. But unless you make sure about certain things, business grows without your intention because it's like an animal. If you feed in more sales, the animal, this monster grows and they crave for more sales, more people, more equipment, more PC, you know, more Apple computers and more offices. Then you need to feed him or her more sales. My mentor said, if you become a CEO of a, a small company, you almost start having a pet monster who craves for more sales. So you have to really know, do you want to uh, keep uh, growing your company so you can take it to public? Or do you want to do a medium-sized company? Or are you satisfied with uh, one or two stores? It's up to what makes you feel happiest. What's interesting to me is that these are different skills than somebody who starts a business, enters into that business with. So if they love food and they have a set of recipes and they love cooking for people, that's their passion. That's typically the skill set that they have. And this whole idea of being able to borrow money, to invest in other restaurants, being able to leverage their supply chain so they're able to have a lower cost of food and increase their profit margin, being able to develop managers. Those are all different skill sets than someone who just starts out looking to cook their favorite recipes and make people happy with their food starts out to do. What have you found that are some of the complementary mindsets and attitudes that help people say, I do want to get bigger and I know I've got to learn more. So what is it that they have to do to adopt or embrace in order to take on these other skill sets? It requires totally different skill sets. If you want to grow your business, you no longer need these skills or peeling vegetables, peeling carrots and just cooking them right <laughs> at the right temperature. So do you want to do that is my first question. If you want to grow your business, you cannot touch any food and then you may not enjoy your food because you're always busy talking with bankers, investors, and is that a, a kind of life you want? Or do you want to have a fun small chat with your customers who love your store, who love your like, recipe? If you just try to, to do things that doesn't make you happy, you're going to start feeling depressed. I'm so tired. Do I have to just go to my restaurant number three? Then your driver will take you to restaurant number four to make sure the food serving is right. So do you want to do that is my first question. If you want to do that's great, but you have to learn from the right mentors and hire right people to grow your business. So it's a totally different game. It's like playing soccer and playing basketball. You actually took that journey. You started out with an accountant firm and you branched into other businesses. You grew your firm to beyond yourself. I'm sure that you, know, you have many managers there and many accountants who you've hired. What was that journey like for you as you were growing just your first business? 
To me, my quality time with my family is the most precious one. I wanted to make sure that I have my quality time with my family. That means I'm not going to keep working after 4 o'clock p.m., which a lot of people, for Japanese men especially, that's the time they start working hard. <laughs> so I created a business so I don't have to be involved in there. I had a few businesses, consulting and accounting and also seminar businesses too. But I organize in a way I don't have to do so many things. My staff writes up an email and then all I have to do is just being driven to the place in the morning and then grab a microphone and talk to thousands of people and have、uh, fun, make them laugh, cry, and we enjoy together, sing together, dance together, and then entertain them whole day, which I really enjoy. I'm doing it online now, but still the same. So all I have to do is to show up, turn up my computer, and then hi, everybody, that's it. So I made sure that my quality time will not be stolen away. But for some people, they have a different priorities, and I respect that too. You've been very fortunate in having a good mentor and being able to make a shift in your mindset in order to improve your relationship with money. I use that language very intentionally because you write about it very eloquently in your book that it's important to examine the relationship you have with money. How is that different than just having a, a better attitude about money? If you bump into a people with abundant mentality, something shifts in you. For example, one of my mentors, Dr. John Gray, who is author of Men are from Mars, Women are from Venus, he's one of the most generous person I know. When he took me to a restaurant, the waiter spotted Dr. Gray and then he came running. I've never seen any waiters run so fast. And then we were graded to the best table and we casually talked about tipping because I asked him about being generous. And he said, I usually tip people about 35, 40%, sometimes 50%. Like, what? No wonder he runs so fast and no wonder his face shined when he found Dr. Gray. So if I just spend more time with these generous people, I think money is everywhere. Even though you may not be billionaires yet, like there's abundance in the air. I had to actually have a picture, so I'm going to show you, Bill. Other people cannot see it, but can you see? He passed away a few years ago. He used to carry gold coins in his pockets, and whenever he spots a nice smile, he gives out this gold coin, which is about a thousand dollar worth. It's very heavy. Then he said, Congratulations on your best smile of the day. So keep smiling. And then she or he would cry, Are you really giving to me? Because you never even had an experience of touching a gold. If you hang around with mentors like that, you feel like even though you give a lot, your resources will not run out. So that's a great feeling about that. I love the point that you bring out, Ken, that the people who we surround ourselves with and that we make choices to spend time with have an enormous impact on the way that we think about money, on the way that we think about how well to treat others, and even the way that we treat our coworkers. Many times people are fighting over scarce resources, like managers are vying over budget because there's only so much money in the budget that can be allocated to either a marketing project or a new operations software update, for instance. What can managers do who are listening to this form a better relationship with their colleagues rather than fighting with them over actual scarce resources? It's not the perception of scarce resources. The resources are actually fixed. They can't be added to for this current month, for instance. Once again, great question, Bill. It's the same with husband and wife. So it's the same thing. You have to make sure that he or she knows that you too, or all of you, are on the same boat. You don't need to fight. You have to come up with a solution. So instead of fighting against one another, get them to be on your side or just let them understand that you're on their side. If you give them the responsibility and accountability, I really enjoy listening to Sam, by the way.、I、really enjoyed being accountable for things. It's not just a technical skills or manipulation, it's just a sincere knowing that we're 
on this together. And if you make them or have them understand that you're on the same boat, you too can come up with creative ideas to cut down costs and do things without costing anything. So as long as you're on the same boat, you can come up with anything. I agree. That's important where you start from. That's a, a really good point. Thanks so much for mentioning the episode with Sam Silverstein, the author of I Am Accountable, who spoke to us on episode 325. What you're addressing is really interesting about being able to start from a common place. Now, you and I may hire people, and sometimes that distorts our vision of what the relationships are like between colleagues, because the boss is always right. What do you see as a way that people can use their work relationships as a way of improving their relationship with money? For instance, if they improve their relationship with money at work, do you see that carrying over to their relationship at home? Yeah, but you have to be a little careful because at workplace, efficiency, cost effectiveness is everything. And some business people try to implement that at home. So do you want to cut down your quality time with your kids or wives or husband? Because it's just, it's not producing anything. A friend of mine who has a public company who could hire a chef, he spends four hours on a Sunday afternoon making pasta from scratch with his two little daughters. If you just think of it as a waste of his time because he could hire a chef with a few hundred dollars and probably make a better looking pasta for the family, do you think it's worth the investment or a, a best use of his time as a CEO? No, because it's a different thing. So you really have to come up with a different scale to implement at home because in business, you have to cut out sleep or the cost. But at home, waste of resources is what's important. My daughter used to play so much with a tissue paper. When you're two or three, she loved pulling out all the tissue papers. I used to just scold her, don't do that because it's a waste of resources. But I changed my mind. If she does that, I'm going to open up this blue one. And I was just doing like that. I, mean, I had so much fun. I had to clean it up later. But just uh, a quality time like that is just a waste of your time, mostly. And uh, quality time on the barbecue with your friends, it's just a waste of time, right? Summer barbecues, and it's just a waste of your time. You could probably study books and study more accounting and business. But do you want to do that? <laughs> it's your life. You have to really have the balance. And so personally, focus on wasting your money, wasting your time. Otherwise, you cannot enjoy life. I think that what you're getting at is we need to adopt the value system of whatever the context we're in. At work, we're looking to be cost conscious. We're at home. We want to be generous with our time and with our money. And things like extra tissue won't make a difference if we go through $10 worth of tissue paper. And because it's such a fun experience to do that with a girl or, or boy who's just having a fun time of it, that yeah. delight is worth far more than any cost of silly materials like that. Exactly. Tell me this, Ken, what do you say to people who say having a good relationship with money is easy because you have lots of money? What do you say to people who say, I can't be happy about money until, and it really doesn't matter what they say after that. Once mm -hmm. they say until, Mm -hmm. They've now identified what part of their problem is. How do you address that? You can be happy with $10 in your pocket, but you cannot be happy with uh, $10 million in your bank account. It's really up to you. I used to interview many wealthy individuals to write a book on how to become a wealthy individual in the time of crisis. And I actually did a questionnaire of more than 10,000 self-made millionaires in Japan. I had a lot of fun asking questions about getting millions and making millions. But what's interesting is that when I asked them, how old were you when 
you study feeling that I'm a wealthy man, is that when you took your company to public? Or is that like your first made $10 million? Or well, what, when was that? He said, I don't think I'm a wealthy man because I don't have a private jet. <laughs> what? You have a public company with a thousand employees. Then he doesn't feel that way. Later on, I had the opportunity to meet up with somebody with a private jet. And he said, I feel smallest when my car pulls over to a special terminal for private jets because my plane is so tiny and all the other ones are huge. I heard the same expression when they have some vacation in Monaco. There is this uh, yacht harbor and then all the yachts are so huge. This Arabic tycoon come in with a jumbo jet size yacht with a helicopter in a helipad. So if your yacht is not so big, you feel like, oh, I'm just a small potato. You have to draw a line. How much is enough? If you can make bills at the end of every month, you can be in heaven or you can complain about the little pay you get or just talk about focus on anxiety or economy or the president or whatever that is. So either you appreciate what you have or you discount it and keep complaining. It's not how much money you have or how much money you make. I know that every week my wife and I have a date night on Thursday nights. One of my favorite things to do is just say, what would we as teenagers think of the life that we've created now? What would we think as high school students of this beautiful life that we've created and the family we have and the mm-hmm. choices we've made? I know that I would just be amazed as a high school student that someone created the life that I have. I look back at that and that gives me a sense of gratitude for the choices that I've made rather than thinking, oh, I'm looking to do more and looking to reach more people and, and feeling inadequate by looking at what the horizon is and what I haven't reached yet versus looking back and saying, boy, from back there, I've just accomplished a lot. I really can feel that sense of gratitude. Congratulations, by the way. I'm so happy to hear somebody like that. That's really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Do you have questions that you ask yourself to remind yourself about the abundance that you live in and the decisions that you've made that you can take stock and feel that sense of gratitude? Yeah. So I teach this principle to hundreds of thousands of people personally. When money comes in, I say arigato or thank the money. When I spend money, also I say arigato or thank the money that I'm paying to. So by doing that, I have a sense of appreciation in every process with my money. So I'm so happy thousands of people just pay me every month $10 to support me and my staff members. I I do a lot of a giveaway project with the money. I feel like I'm a janitorial position. I'm making sure that the money goes there, here and that. But I really appreciate all the love money and happy money that comes into my life and my company. And then I'm so happy to share it with orphanages, with the people, with a single mom or a single father who are having a difficulty. So I'm sort of starting my own basic income scheme. I personally, instead of government, I start supporting, starting with 10 family members. And hopefully if I make more money, I can support a hundred family, a thousand family with my own wealth. So whenever I see money, I appreciate it. And then I appreciate coming in and going out. So for me, money is a object that I appreciate for, and it gives you such a good feeling. I just want to point out to people listening to emphasize that you're saying arigatu, which is thank you for the money, the opportunity mm-hmm. it gives you, because many people in the United States will be thinking, when I pay large bills, I'm saying adios, not arigatu to my life. Very yeah. different emotionally. Ken, are you ready for the my quest for the best lightning round? Sure. We talked at the beginning of the interview about someone who influenced or inspired you growing up, and you talked about your dad, who had a love of numbers and being able to memorize phone numbers and teaching you about how those details gave you power. When you were a teenager, what's a song that you loved? Oh, I have a few Japanese songs, but the song of Your Dream Comes True, I used to sing a lot. You're making it come true. The band name is Dream Come True. It's a very famous band, like Queens here. So I really like all the songs related to making 
making your dreams come true. What's one choice you made as a successful businessman to create that type of abundance mentality in your family? When you were making choices about how you wanted your daughter to grow up, what are some new rituals or habits or practices that you introduced to give her the benefit of what you've learned? I wanted to not teach because a lot of parents would say, do as I say, not as I do. So I hoped, I prayed that she finds life could be a lot of fun. By showing that I'm enjoying my life fully, I wanted to let her know that she has so much fun waiting for her, which I think became very successful doing that because she's creating music now. She's starting her music career now. The fact that life can be fun is I wanted to let her know. What would you say is one of the best $100 or so purchases you've made in the last six months? I'm a gadget man. So I have a lot of gadgets. I have here a portable microphone. <laughs> when I go on a trip, this little guy can come with me. I have a bigger microphone in my office, but with this little one, I'm free to travel. What would you say is your definition of success? When you know who you are and do what you love with the people who you care about. In the last year or so, what is a particular habit, skill, or I'm sorry, what is the, the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped that's led to the most personal um, satisfaction? Whenever I find myself start thinking critical about something, I try to let it go. And I try to say, when I see people without integrity, I used to have a big judgment about money or relationship or whatever. And now when I see something is wrong with the person, I always try to look from his grandmother. If that doesn't work, I try to look at him or her from God's bird's eye so I can forgive him or forgive her. I think I'm learning to be more generous without being critical. You have shared some very valuable insights with us today, Ken. I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best and helping people understand how to improve our relationship with money. You talked about your dad and how he was such an important influence in teaching you how to focus on numbers and memorize them and learn some accounting terms to gain some power early on. But how you used your ability to hire people and develop that as a skill. And that became so important and useful for you as you develop beyond just your accounting business into other businesses as a business consultant and as a seminar leader and author. I want to thank you for teaching us to think of money and be grateful for it, reminding us that it's so important to have the right relationship with money that will serve us in the best way. So for these and so many more reasons, Ken Honda, author of Happy Money, The Japanese Art of Making Peace with Your Money, I want to thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you, Bill. I really enjoy having chat with you and I'm wishing all the best for you and your listeners. So, uh, have fun in life because you have to have fun in life. That's what we are born for. I agree. Now, before we say goodbye for now, Ken, where can we find out more about you and your work online? You can find KenHonda.com. I started an English community called Arigato Living Community. We have about 600 members now from 20 different countries. So we learn about money EQ and also how to appreciate one, an one another. Appreciation-based life is a new way of life in the chaotic time. If you want interested in, in something like that, please visit KenHonda.com. We're going to point to KenHonda.com in the show notes, as well as your social media as well as links to buy the book online to keep up with your attitudes and practices around abundance. Ken Honda, author of Happy Money, once again, I want to thank you for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. 
My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.